Welcome back to our award-winning podcast, where we tackle fascinating topics and break them down in a way that's both insightful and entertaining. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we're diving into the intriguing realm of decision-making under risk with our episode titled Decision-Making Under Risk. When is utility maximization equivalent to risk minimization? That's right, Jen. We're going to explore a paper that discusses how people make financial decisions when the outcome is uncertain, like choosing the right investment portfolio. It's a meaty topic, Tom, and it revolves around two concepts, utility maximization and risk minimization. To put it simply, utility maximization is all about making choices that give us the most satisfaction or benefit. On the flip side, risk minimization is like being cautious. It's the approach where you try to reduce the uncertainty of those outcomes as much as possible. You might think these two strategies are at odds, but this paper suggests that under certain conditions, they're actually the same thing. Wow, talk about a mind bender. Totally, Jen. To understand this, we need a bit of background. The study uses a financial model where a decision maker, say an investor, has some wealth today and will receive some random, unpredictable payoffs tomorrow based on the state of the world. The investor's goal is to choose a financial position for tomorrow that's within their budget today and covers the possible future payoffs. This could be anything from simple saving to complex investments. And here's where things get interesting, Jen. This choice involves risk because the future state of the world, what'll happen tomorrow, is unknown. So we reach the big question. Should our investor seek the joy of the highest payoff, maximizing utility, or play it safe and minimize risk? The researchers introduced a cool concept called the risk perception axiom that actually aligns these two objectives. Essentially, it defines the acceptable level of risk based on how the investor perceives uncertainty. And when they say align, they mean that if preferences are set just right, looking for the greatest satisfaction also means you're minimizing risk. They're two sides of the same coin. Amazing, isn't it? The paper establishes conditions under which these preferences lead to the same financial decisions. The decision-making process becomes equivalent to minimizing something known as a utility-based shortfall risk measure. Head spinning yet? Let's ground this with an example. Think of it like choosing an ice cream flavor. Utility maximization is going for the double fudge because, yum, it's delicious and makes you happy. But there's a risk it might be too rich and give you a tummy ache. So risk minimization is considering a flavor that's still tasty but less likely to cause trouble. Now, if an ice cream shop found a way to make that double fudge flavor without the risk of a tummy ache, choosing it would satisfy both maximizing utility and minimizing risk. Exactly. And while our example is deliciously simple, the paper's approach to decision-making under risk is pretty groundbreaking for financial markets and investment strategies. To wrap it up, this paper gives us a formula to create a world where making the happiest choice is also the safest. Talk about having your cake or ice cream and eating it too. Well, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed our scoop on utility maximization and risk minimization, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. Until next time, I'm Jen. And I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in. Has your idea of a vacation gone a little flat? Then it's time to inflate your sense of adventure with Planet Balloon Galactic Getaways.
elevate your vacation beyond the stratosphere, folks. Imagine sipping space champagne, lounging in a zero hammock, while nibbling on astronaut ice cream and dodging meteoroids. With our state-of-the-art helium space orbs, you can drift oh-so-chicly from Earth to the moon. And get moonstruck with our Cosmic Breeze propulsion system. It's literally a breath of fresh air, solar air. Picture this. You're floating weightlessly. A satellite winks as it passes by. And you gotta ask, is it taking a space selfie with you, or are you taking a selfie with it? With Planet Balloon, the Milky Way isn't just a candy bar. It's your panoramic highway. Forget first class. This is out of this world class. So space out your schedule and book today. With Planet Balloon Galactic Getaways, together, the sky's not the limit. It's just the beginning. Terms and conditions apply. Oxygen not included. Welcome to our latest podcast episode, everyone. Today, we're diving deep into a topic that hits close to home for so many of us, techno stress and job performance. That's right. We're really getting into the nitty gritty of how technology, while essential, can sometimes be a double-edged sword in our workplaces. Exactly, Tom. This episode is inspired by a paper authored by Armida Atrian and Sala Gobe. It's a comprehensive look into how techno-stress impacts our work performance. So what is techno-stress, you ask? It's the stress we experience due to the rapid integration of technology in our jobs. It can come from always being connected or the pressure to learn new tech. Believe it or not, techno-stress can affect our work both negatively and positively. It's a bit like spices in a dish. The right amount can enhance it, but too much can spoil it. This paper is quite innovative because it uses a mix of surveys and interviews with employees from various sectors to show us how techno-stress manifests in the real world. And the findings? Well, they aren't too surprising if you've ever felt overwhelmed by your inbox. Techno-stress can decrease productivity, job satisfaction, and increase turnover intentions. But here's the silver lining. The paper suggests that strategic interventions, like training programs and supportive leadership, can really help. Training can empower us to manage techno-stress and even use technology to boost our job performance. Now, let's break down this thing called techno-stress. According to the study, it has five main components. Imagine these as different flavors of stress induced by technology. First up is technology-induced overload. This is when you've got to work faster or longer because of technology demands. Then there's technology invasion. Ah, the classic work is pinging me on my phone at 10 p.m. situation. Technological complexity is another. That overwhelming feeling when tech seems so intricate that you need to constantly level up your skills. Don't forget technological insecurity, the fear of becoming redundant because of new tech. And finally, technological uncertainty, where the pace of tech changes leaves you feeling unsteady. The study discovered a strong negative correlation between these forms of techno-stress and job performance. So how do we combat techno-stress? The paper suggests continuous technical support and encouraging teams to work collaboratively on tech problems. They also recommend limiting unnecessary digital information to prevent overload. Organizations should get employees' input when implementing new systems. This helps in making technology work for everyone. And for the employees, support each other, keep learning, and don't be afraid of making suggestions to improve how tech is used at work. While it's clear techno-stress poses challenges, with the right approach, we can all help to turn the stress into success. There you have it, folks. 
a serious look at techno-stress and job performance with some strategic responses we can all put into practice. We hope this episode leaves you feeling empowered to tackle techno-stress head-on. Join us next time for another enlightening discussion. Until then, keep thriving and remember, technology is a tool to make our lives easier. Let's not let it be the boss of us. Well said, Tom. Bye for now and stay stress-free. Are you tired of wearing the same old boring clothes that scream earthling? Do you want to outshine the stars and turn the Milky Way into your personal catwalk? Then it's time to blast off your style with Nebulash Splash Fashion Inc. With our Nebulash Splash Cape, you'll be the center of the universe. No telescope needed. Our cutting-edge LED constellations will light up your look, mapping the night sky right on your back. And the best part? These cosmic capes are mood-responsive. Feeling sassy? Watch as your cape flickers with the fire of a supernova. Vega-level chill today? Your cape will glow with the cool luminescence of a distant star. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to be a stellar trendsetter. Just visit Nebulash Splash Fashion Inc. and remember both. Why just make an entrance when you can create a supernova? Galactic glamour at a splash. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our podcast, where we explore the most fascinating topics at the intersection of technology and society. Today, we're diving deep into the world of generative artificial intelligence. Now, I know AI might sound intimidating to some of our listeners, but we promise to break it all down for you. Absolutely, Jen. And today, we are not just talking about AI. We're focusing on a specific type, generative AI. To get us started, let's define generative artificial intelligence. It's a branch of AI that's about creating new content, whether that's images, text, or music, which is something we usually think only humans can do. That's right, Tom. And this field has seen some explosive advances in recent years. Have you seen those images online that look like paintings, but are actually generated by AI? That's what we're talking about. Today, we're going to structure our talk around a paper titled the Impact of Generative Artificial Intelligence by Kaichen Zhang and others. It's a recent study from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology that explores how this kind of AI technology might affect jobs and the economy. You might think, oh no, robots are taking over our jobs. But the findings in this paper are quite surprising. The study looks at what happened when a highly skilled image-generating AI got leaked to the public. Right. They basically used this leak as a natural experiment to look at the before and after in markets where this AI was used. Specifically, they looked at markets for anime-style images. And what they found was that while the prices for these images went down, and you might think that's bad for the artists, the number of orders and the overall revenue went up. It's a bit like economics, doing a magic trick here. Lower prices usually mean less money, right? But increased efficiency meant more work could be done. And more work means more money, despite the lower prices. Exactly. The study suggests that artists are actually benefiting from using generative AI as a tool rather than being replaced by it. It's about using the tech to boost creativity and productivity. Now, for the policy folks listening out there, this study is kind of a big deal. It suggests that we might want to encourage the use of generative AI rather than restrict it due to its potential positive impact on the market. And for the artists and other professionals out there, this is a call to arms to embrace AI, 
to learn about it, to integrate it into your workflow, and to innovate with it. Before we wrap up, Jen, let's remind our listeners of the big takeaway from this paper. Generative AI has the potential to enrich industries, create more work, and enhance creativity. It's not just a job stealer. Absolutely, Tom. And with that hopeful message, we've come to the end of another episode. To all our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in, and we can't wait to explore more of these incredible topics with you in the future. Until next time, this is Tom. And this is Jen both signing off from your favorite podcast on society's most intriguing tech advancements. Today's episode is brought to you by the Cosmic Cleaners at Singularity Suckers, Inc. That's right, Tom. Forget dust bunnies. We're dealing with dust black holes now. Have a pesky planet blocking your view of Venus? Singularity Suckers will make it vanish like a politician's promise. And space litterbugs, beware. Their black hole vacuums don't just clean. They make Marie Kondo look like an amateur. Talk about tidying up joyfully, eh, Jen? They'll lift your space spirits and your nebulae crud. But don't worry about cosmic karma. All that matter gets upcycled into the universe's trendiest treat, dark matter donuts. Yum? Absolutely cosmic-licious, Jen. They're cleaning the universe, one black hole at a time. So for a vacuum that really sucks, in a good way, reach for the stars and dial Singularity Suckers, Inc. Disclaimer, Singularly Suckers, Inc. is not responsible for accidentally vacuumed spacecrafts or pets named Astro. That's right, Tom. Keep Fido inside when you're tidying up the Milky Way. Call now and tell them Tom and Jen sent you for a 10% discount on your first asteroid belt cleanup. Singularity Suckers, Inc. Because where we're going, we don't need dusters. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of our podcast series. Jen, what exciting topic are we diving into today? Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to unwrap the complex world of high-dimensional binary choice models with unknown heteroskedasticity or instrumental variables. Yes, it's a mouthful, but we promise to make it intuitive and entertaining. So Jen, to kick things off, let's imagine you have a bunch of choices to make, kind of like swiping left or right on a dating app, and each choice can be a simple yes or no. Those are your binary choices, folks. But here's the catch. These choices are influenced by a number of factors or variables. In a high dimensional setting, we've got a ton of these variables to consider. Exactly. And things get even more interesting when there's heteroskedasticity. Imagine going through your dating profiles at different times of the day. Your mood swings can cause the error in your judgment and that error isn't the same all the time. That's heteroskedasticity for you. Now let's talk instrumental variables. Sometimes variables are sneaky, they seem to affect your choices, but it's not a direct influence. It's like your best friend giving you dating advice. She's not on the date with you, but her advice is affecting your choices. To analyze all this complexity, researchers have been using estimators that make simplifying assumptions. But the world isn't simple, is it, Jen? Not at all, Tom. That's why this paper we're discussing is a game changer. It introduces a method that says, we don't need to make those assumptions about the error term. We can handle the curveballs. And to tackle those high dimensions, cutting through the noise to find what really affects your decisions, the paper implements screening methods that are akin to Sherlock Holmes sifting through clues. The best part is that the method works even if it skips some valid variables at first. It's like 
double-checking your investigation results. Spot on. And as for estimation, the paper brings out the big guns with penalties. It's a bit like being on a diet but allowing for cheat days. This approach selectively shrinks some variable's influence, knowing it can't focus on everything at once. The paper doesn't just propose these methods, it straps them into a rocket for a test flight in high dimensions using simulations, which are like dress rehearsals for mathematical procedures. And the results are impressive. This approach can indeed handle those high dimensions with unknown heteroscedasticity, or even when the variables are an enigma. So there you have it, folks, an intuitive look at a complex model paving the way for highly accurate decision analysis, all without making those restrictive assumptions. It is statistics meeting the real messy world. And we'll be back next time, untangling more statistical spaghetti. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and swipe right on our podcast. Stay tuned and stay statistically significant, everyone. Hey, Jen, do you know what goes boo but then ah, right after? No idea, Tom, what? A vampire after using the necrobrush from Undead Dentals, Inc. Oh, that's right. Tired of your mummy having more wraps in his mouth than on his body? Or maybe your ghoul's bad breath is what's really haunting your halls. Then it's time to dig up the solution from Undead Dentals, Inc., your one-stop necropolis for dental hygiene. The necrobrush isn't just a toothbrush, it's a paranormal experience. With those enchanted bristles, even the most ancient of horrors can have their grin glow under the moonlight. And let's not forget the ectoplasmic flosser, Tom. It slides through ghostly gums like a specter through walls. So if your zombie's teeth are looking more dread than dead, it's time to give them a brush with the other side. Revive that dead smile and turn your crypt into a hub of heavenly howls. Remember, that's Undead Dentals, Inc., where every smile is a scream. And for our listeners, chant the promo code SPOOKYSMILE for a ghoulishly good discount. Brush like the undead have never brushed before, because even an immortal deserves pearly whites. Act now before this offer becomes ghosted. Hey everyone, welcome back to our show. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today we've got a fascinating topic that ventures into how people learn and form opinions in social groups. It's called From Authority Respect to Grassroots Descent, Degree-Weighted Social Learning and Convergence Speed. Sounds complex, huh? It sure does, Tom, but we're going to unpack it and make it easy to digest. Let's start by breaking down the title. It's all about how we learn from others in our network, whether we give more credit to popular figures or the general crowd. Think of it like this. In a group of friends, do you listen to the one who's always in the spotlight, or do you consider everyone's opinion equally? The study we're discussing suggests that neither blindly following the popular opinion guarantees faster consensus. That's right, Jen. Convergence speed is basically how quickly a group reaches a common belief. And surprisingly, more authority respect, or that spotlight effect, doesn't always speed things up. Now let's introduce the concept of a degree-weighted DeGroote learning model. Imagine each opinion in your network is a colored thread. The DeGroote model weaves these threads into a tapestry that represents the shared beliefs of the group. The degree part refers to how connected someone is. So if highly connected folks are given more weight, that's like giving thicker threads to the loudest voices. But here's the kicker. The study found that making the loud voices thicker metaphorically doesn't mean the tapestry's pattern or the group belief 
emerges quicker. The speed rather depends on how unified groups of opinions are. Like if all the grassroots, the everyday folks, share similar views, their collective voice, regardless of volume, can actually move the needle toward consensus. Or in another scenario, if there are multiple elite groups, like the influencers of the network, with different views, it can actually slow down the process of reaching a shared understanding. To visualize some of these patterns, researchers use graphs. These aren't the bar and pie charts from seventh grade math. Instead, they show how changing respect for authority or grassroots dissent affects the speed of forming common beliefs. Interesting, right? Essentially, the study suggests that in society's complex conversations, the way we weigh people's opinions can significantly influence the persistence of societal agreements or disagreements. Now, let's not forget, this model simplifies a lot of factors. Reality has even more variables, like the strength of the opinions themselves or real-life events that could sway beliefs. And before we end, props to the researchers behind this study. It really provides insightful data on how we might better navigate public discourse. Absolutely, Jen. Well, that wraps up our show for today. We hope we've made this complex topic a bit clearer and sparked some thoughts on how we all contribute to the collective thought pool. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Make sure to hit subscribe for more thought-provoking episodes. I'm Jen. And I'm Tom. See you next time, where we untangle another intellectual knot. Have you ever been walking through the woods and thought, hey, this could use more Wi-Fi? And who hasn't wished for a moose that can help you chop wood with its very own laser-guided teeth? Well, strap on your helmets and hold on to your flannels, because Cyber Moose Dynamics is revolutionizing the great outdoors. Introducing the one, the only, Moose Tech Prodigy. Say goodbye to the days where moose just graze and mind their own business. That's right, Jen. With solar-powered antlers that can light up the night and download emails in the deep woods, who needs a campfire and a smartphone? And let's not forget those harmonic bellows. Forget bird calls. This is the new soundtrack to your nature hikes. Is that Beethoven? No, it's Morse Moose communicating my GPS coordinates. Each of these majestic mecha mammals comes equipped with our patented lumberhack tech. Invasive species are literally shaking in their roots. But Jen, are they safe for woodland frolicking? As safe as a bear hug, Tom. Each cyber moose is installed with friend or forest detection algorithms. They hug trees with their eyes, not with their antlers. So listeners, if you're ready for a future where nature goes neo-digital, join us in supporting cyber moose dynamics. Yeah, and don't forget their motto, empowering antlers with intelligence. Revolutionize your wild side with cyber moose dynamics. Because who hasn't wanted a moose that can calculate the tip at dinner? Or provide hotspot access when you're lost trying to find that elusive Bigfoot. Hoofing it into the future. And be sure to tell them, Tom and Jen sent you for a free subscription to Moose Monthly, your guide to all things antler tech. This has been a message from our sponsors, the one and only Cyber Moose Dynamics, where nature meets the motherboard in style.